Welcome to the School of Faith podcast. I'm Chris Nye. We're doing a Bible deep dive right now into the book of Daniel as our groups and uh, yeah, those that are involved in midweek groups are going through the book with each other. So in the Sunday service, we're going through the book of First Peter and in our groups, we're going through the Old Testament book of Daniel and here's why. We would like to provide an Old Testament and New Testament perspective on the theme of exile in the Bible. So we've got resources at our group's resources page, uh, which you can find over at awakeningchurch.com. And I just wanted to provide some supplementary material, some Bible background, some deep dive into the first six chapters of Daniel as we study them as a group for those uh, leaders and also those members of groups that have questions or are further interested in the Old Testament book. I'm able to do this. I I taught this um, for years at a Bible college over in the Oregon coast. And so just had a ton of notes, wanted to throw them out there and uh, see what you guys would take from it. So uh, we're in Daniel chapter two this time. So please take your Bibles or um, if you're listening to this in your car, just keep driving. But um, we're going to be in Daniel chapter two. So Daniel chapter 2, and I'd really say the end of 1, beginning of 2, we kind of see something that might trouble us and require some background, which is Daniel and his friends really assimilate. It seems like they might be assimilating into a kind of Babylonian culture. The only thing they've done so far is kind of refuse to eat the king's food. Now, in chapter 3, things are going to get a lot more dramatic, but at the end of chapter 1... It says, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he, the king, found them, the boys, Daniel and his friends, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So it's forecasting a long um, and kind of illustrious career for Daniel in Babylonian leadership and politics. Now, this might be problematic for some of us because we just go, how could you know a faithful Jew uh, live in Babylon this way? And also, why? We talked last week, or sorry, we talked in last episode um, about Daniel 1 and the backdrop being Deuteronomy 28, which basically, well, it, it connects the disobedience of Israel with the exile, say, saying, that that was a forecast and a prophecy on the people of Israel that if they disobey, they will be sent into exile. So why would Daniel be getting comfortable? Why would Daniel be getting comfortable in exile right now? Well, this is this is uh, important to remember a prophet who came just before um, and right, maybe even overlapping, depending on how you date this, um, another prophet, which is Jeremiah. Jeremiah says uh, in, in Jeremiah 28 verse five, or Jeremiah 29 verse 5 it says thus says the Lord the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon okay this is Jeremiah speaking the word again this is a little bit more classic prophecy which is like a prophet saying this is what God is saying to you Israel to you people and he says this, Jeremiah 29, now verse 5. He says, God says this to us, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease in Babylon. Seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. So in verse 20, at the end of chapter 1 of verse Dan- of Daniel, when it says that these guys are 10 times better than all the magicians, we have to remember the reason they are settling in um, and going through the Babylonian school system, so to speak, right? The reason they're doing this is out of direct obedience to Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. Jeremiah wrote this letter, Jeremiah 29, verse 4, to the exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, that's the, that's the uh, audience for this letter. So who are Daniel and his friends but uh, people of Israel, Jews, who are in Babylon? So they're receiving this letter from Jeremiah 29, and Jeremiah is saying, God says, is saying to me that you should build houses and seek the welfare of the city, and in its welfare, you will find welfare. Fair. Uh, there's a lot of translations, actually, that change that word to peace. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city is the NIV. For in its prosperity, you will find prosperity. In other words, uh, seek the blessing of Babylon. You should want the best for Babylon uh, as you want the best for yourself because the two work hand in hand. So likewise, right, we as Christians in America today should want the justice and the best for this country um, because God has kind of use the same language. And again, um, we're unpacking this more on Sunday through the Exile series of First Peter, but that's exactly the way that First Peter is, uh, uh, that Peter's telling the, those Christians that are in Rome. Hey, you know, live lives according to the goodness of God that those who see you uh, would have nothing to, bad to say about you. Let your behavior among the Gentiles be such that, this is chapter 2 of 1 Peter, be such that, you know, no one can say a bad word about you, all right? And so some of the backdrop here is so important. Jeremiah 29 helps us see why the boys would act the way that they do, and why would Daniel help um, King Nebuchadnezzar? He's having these weird dreams in chapter 2, right? He has these strange dreams. Why on earth would Daniel help him? Well, he's simply obeying Jeremiah 29. St. Augustine, one of the foundational theologians of Christian history, he was writing in the 300s, and he wrote a very famous book called The City of God. It's very hard to read. I would not suggest going through it quickly. I I had to go through it so slowly and even had some help getting through it through seminary professors. The book is called The City of God. The basic argument is that there are two cities. Theologically speaking, there are two cities. There's the city of God, there's the city of man. And that Christians uniquely sit as citizens of both cities. And one of the things he argues in that ancient book, August St. Augustine says that those who are um, citizens of the city of God shall be the best citizens of the city of man. In other words, 
you're a citizen of the city of God. You should be the best citizen to the city of man. If you're a Christian, you should be a tremendous American. And now, what do we mean by that, right? That we don't mean that we um, submit ourselves to injustice or resign ourselves to uh, oppression of the poor. No, in fact, one of the things it would mean to be the best American is to stand up for the rights of those who are marginalized and oppressed. That would be being not only a great Christian, but a great American. And we see this right through our history with the greatest examples of the greatest Americans being those who sometimes disobeyed um, American thinking for the sake of America. Martin Luther King Jr. is probably the greatest example of the 20th century. That here was a man who was living in the city of God and the best citizen of the city of man. Um, so much so to the man that we assassinated many years ago, we now celebrate. And while he was not fully accepted in his time, over the course of history will be proven to be uh, one of the greatest citizens in American history. So Daniel is taking some of this exile theology into how he is going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. And you'll see, he doesn't compromise, right? He ascends to the top of the political rank, but he doesn't assimilate and, um, you know, acknowledge his interpretations as uh, that of foreign gods. He very clearly, in chapter 2, ascribes, and this is one of the most beautiful passages, passages chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, ascribes the wisdom to God. If you just look at 20, 21, 22, and 23 of Daniel chapter 2, you see how clearly uh, Daniel is saying this is God's authority and God's work to help us understand what it is we're exactly looking at in these dreams. Now, let me tell you a little bit about dreams. Well, bef actually, before I get there, as you read about a pagan king with a dream that his magicians and trained diviners cannot interpret, is there another Old Testament story you're thinking of? Yeah, you should be thinking of Joseph, okay? Genesis chapter 36 and on, right? Tells the story, tells basically the same story. Well, you know, so many parallels. And I think this is on purpose, right? The book of Daniel is trying to help us understand this is one of the ways God works is that there's, there's, there's certain people that will find themselves in tremendous places of influence, places of tremendous influence. And those people are going to be faithful to a point to um, to the to the image of the ruler but at some point will also ascribe to God what is God's and in dreams you and dream interpretation you kind of see that okay in the ancient Near East dreams were extremely significant to all people and and actually it's in Middle Eastern cultures Dreams tend to still today hold a lot of weight. I've got some good friends that do ministry in the Middle East in various countries over there. And they'll tell you that um, in those cultures, dreams are just really, really important. In Western culture, in white American culture in particular, uh, dreams are kind of seen as like garbage, throwaway. They don't really mean anything. And so um, I argue that, you know, God speaks 
through the means of the culture and uses sometimes the culture to speak to people, right? And so while he may not use a dream in white American evangelicalism or something like that, although I think he does, God still does speak to us in dreams today. Um, and really, my friends who serve in the Middle East will tell you, man, there's some really cool stories about dreams and either interpretation or just plain readings of the dream that lead people to Jesus. But in the ancient Near East, places like where modern-day Palestine is, and even, even in like North Africa, in that ancient world, it was significant to everyone. Like your dreams really, really mattered. Well, secondly, that dreams were, were also viewed as like a future telling of events. And so Nebuchadnezzar having these dreams, he was not weird to think they were important. He was just really living in his culture. And secondly, as a king, he paid close attention to it because it, it was about the future, about what was coming. And finally, that's where the king's dreams were p of particular importance because, right, they affected the whole nation. This isn't a democratic republic. This is a dictatorship. Nebuchadnezzar is clearly a totalitarian leader, we'll see as we move forward. And the theme of um, chapter 2 is that whether you are a pagan king or uh, an, an Israelite or, uh, you know, an Israelite, uh, you know, uh, low life, no matter who you are, it is God who is revealing mysteries, right? I quoted this verse in the previous episode, Daniel uh, 2, verse 27. It says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And that's Daniel's claim, is that for as much as Daniel was settling in and rising the ranks of Babylon, he was keeping his core conviction of who God was and what God was going to do even amidst pagan culture. Okay, this is important, is that one of the themes of exile is that God, God's involvement in what we would call pagan, worldly, the new word today, right, is secular, is that God uses some of those things to show his power and his might, right? And so the response of Daniel here is, is, is clear. As the king's staff uh, disappoints the king, um, you see Daniel's, or the king's response is to be furious and commanded all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So you see that's the totalitarian leader coming out. He just kills all of them, basically. And a decree goes out saying, look, if someone can interpret this dream, someone should. And that's where Daniel steps in. Now, why would Daniel um, seek the Lord in dream interpretation? Well, first, I mentioned it already. The story of Joseph was in, had to be imp implanted in his mind. Um, Joseph was a dream interpreter. He was ra raising up in the ranks of Egypt. Uh, this is back in Genesis. Daniel, you have to imagine as a young Israelite, was told these stories as he was growing up. That's one reason he would respond the way he responded. He says, oh, this is something that the heroes of faith have done in the past. They've served the king and kept the wisdom of God. But the other thing probably floating around in Daniel's mind is that he's has probably read the prophet Isaiah at this time. Prophet Isaiah was serving in and before, a little bit before the time of uh, Daniel, and also some of his disciples, Isaiah's disciples, would have been writing after uh, the point of Daniel. And so the think, my point is, the thinking of Isaiah is very predominant throughout the book of Daniel. You can tell Daniel has been reading Isaiah. And let me just show you. So in Daniel chapter 2, 
verse 20, Daniel answers um, about the vision after it's been revealed and everything like that. Daniel says, blessed be the name of the God forever. Um, 21, he changes the times and season. He removes kings. He sets up kings. Uh, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. 22, he, God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. It's God then that gave Daniel wisdom. So keep that in your mind as I flip. And if you've got a Bible open and you're listening, you can go um, to Isaiah chapter 47. And in Isaiah 47, verse 13, this is what Isaiah says. You are wearied with your many counselors. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at stars who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, 14, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. Isaiah is almost mocking those that look at the stars for wisdom. Those astrologers, magicians, the Chaldeans, right? He looks at the Chaldeans, he goes, you're like stubble, right? And that is the theology that Daniel is imparting into uh, Daniel chapter 2 is he goes, I know that God's revealing hidden, beautiful things. And God is the one who has the wisdom because he's probably read, you know, Isaiah 47. In Isaiah 47, just go back to Isaiah 46. There's actually another passage here. Isaiah 46 verse 9. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying here's this line my counsel shall stand and i will accomplish all my purpose my counsel shall stand right the wisdom of god is going to thwart the wisdom of the chaldeans daniel knew to seek yahweh and receives his answer of what yahweh would say to this dream because he's been reading Isaiah. So this is not a shot in the dark, right? This is not wishful thinking. This is not a desperate prayer. This is Daniel knowing for certain who God is. And that's what we have to do, right? When we're in exile, we have to know for certain who God is. In fact, the apostle Paul says something similar in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In the verses in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 Actually, um, Paul quotes Isaiah 64, 4. So he quotes Isaiah. So, so Paul's in the same thinking as Daniel and Isaiah. And to the Corinthians, Paul writes, second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Then Paul comments on this verse in verse 10, saying, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Skip down to 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught in human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, this is verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because he 
uh, because they are spiritually discerned. And later on, he says, we, though, have the mind of Christ. So Paul has the same tradition. He has the same tradition. He has the same um, understanding as Daniel and as Isaiah, that there is a kind of wisdom we can receive from God and all we got to do is ask, which would take us to one of our favorite passages we use actually at Awakening a lot, is which is James. In the book of James, chapter 1, you get this line about wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, James, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives graciously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is... Uh, clear in the in the story of Solomon it's clear in the story of Isaiah Daniel Paul and here in James telling you us believers on the other side of the cross we can seek the wisdom of God and so part of understanding where Daniel's coming from is he's not coming from some kind of out of nowhere wishful thinking I hope this works kind of thing there's a certainty that's across all scripture from Genesis and Joseph all the way over to the book of James, uh, that spans this idea that wisdom comes from God, or to put it very beautifully, as Daniel puts it in chapter 2, verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you, ha you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. This is not Daniel. This is not Daniel being smart, winsome, creative. This is the power and wisdom of God being revealed to Daniel. And this is exactly what's available to you and me. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and he will receive it. Daniel chapter 2 is about the exploration and the expansion of our minds in thinking about the wisdom of God. And so where do you need the wisdom of God? Where do you need the, the hope of God? Where do you need the skillful interpretation of your life's events? Hmm. Yeah, where do you need that? Seeking the Lord, seeking wisdom from him, asking him for it. He will provide it. Let's spend the last few minutes of chapter two by just exploring this dream a little, little bit. We've seen clearly God's sovereignty over the visions and dreams. Daniel ascribing glory and credit to God. It's all about God providing the wisdom. But the dream itself in verses 31 through 45 can be a little confusing. There's really one dominant view of the dream that I want to tell you about, which is that the, there's this right multi-layered um, statue, a head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron. What do these, and then and there's a rock that comes and crushes it, right? What does this dream mean? Well, Daniel tells us enough of it, but in, in general, it's the four empires that exist from Babylon to Rome. Okay, the head of gold being Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian empire. Uh, the interpretation is often seen the arms and chest of silver as the Medeo-Persian empire, to fo which follows the Babylonian empire. Uh, the belly and thighs of bronze, the Greek empire, and then the legs of iron being the Roman empire. Well, why is this important? This is important because it's showing the succession of uh, empires that have moved through the ancient world from the time of Daniel actually to the time of Jesus. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian, that's the dominant empire there in that, uh, in that time. 
all the way to the legs of iron being the Roman Empire, which was the empire that would come when Christ, that would be around when Christ comes to earth. This is equally important because the vision includes a rock smashing these things, destroying all the other kingdoms, right? And Daniel's interpretation being this is exactly what will happen is that Nebuchadnezzar will have this golden uh, time that will be followed by a time of silver, which will be followed by a time of bronze, and followed by a time of iron. What do you see? A weakening of the preciousness of the empires, right? A weakening, uh, right? Um, Gold being the most precious metal at the time, iron being precious but not as great as gold. And as those empires progress throughout history, there's a rock, there's another formation that's more brutal that will destroy uh, the powers of these empires. And, and this is important because today we have powers of empires, right? One of the things we're talking about on Sundays in our in our uh, sermons on First Peter is that America resembles way more the story of Babylon than the story of Jerusalem. So we live in the quote-unquote American empire. And what we have to understand is that we are just one empire in the course of many, many empires that have come throughout the world, right? By the time, uh, you know, our history as America begins, the British empire is the dominant empire. Well, empires come and go. And, and the point of Daniel is that, like, as the empires come and go, we have to stay faithful to God as the empires of gold, silver, bronze, and iron go through because God's kingdom, the one that has come and is coming in Jesus Christ and the church, is the unseen rock that will end up tre- uh, you know, exposing these empires for what they are, which are frauds, empires that oppress people, that thwart the ways of God, that pride themselves to be like God, and in the end will be destroyed by his kingdom. His kingdom, and that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying for? We are praying, God, use the rock of your kingdom to destroy and thwart the ways of the kingdom of iron, silver, bronze, and gold, right? So that's some of that interpretation there. Daniel, again, the dominant theme being that despite these present circumstances, God is at work and in control, so we should trust him. We should trust the coming of his kingdom, trust his wisdom as we interpret the times and seasons. That's really what Daniel 2 is all about. <laughs>